0: The reasons why we love adventure and why we love the outdoors are different for different people. Some love the beauty of something created by nature. Some like that you can be pushed to your physical and psychological limits. And some, like today's guest, simply enjoy finding a way... To get from point
1: A to point B. To get me there. What's the best sort of human power of travel to get me there? And so, you know, sometimes that's just hiking, and sometimes it's just biking, and then sometimes it's yeah. You sometimes you bring the ice axe and crampons. Sometimes you bring skis or pack rafts. And, uh, yeah, it's all pretty fun, and uh, it's all pretty neat trying to figure out these trips and how to get them done. You know. Who are the mountain meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus.
0: Being at peace with that fear and
1: being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank.
0: Mountain Meister is financially supported by you not giving us your money. If you go to our website and click on the link for the free audiobook from Audible.com, we get paid. So thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mountain Meister. I am your host, Ben Shank, and today with me I have Casey Green. Casey Green, welcome to Mountain Meister.
1: Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's really great to be on the program. Um, really pleased to be here because I'm really inspired by a lot of the people that you do have on Mountain Meister um and just a lot of the stuff I do um it's really good to have that inspiration you know and I think Mountain Meister really brings that to a table um you know so I love listening to the program so thanks for having me
0: thank you very kind words for the listeners who don't know Casey he is based out of the mountains in western Montana and is a longtime cartographer of adventure cycling association He's been labeled a pioneer by Sierra Magazine for his numerous bike packing trips and by Bike Magazine for his numerous pack biking trips. Casey's maps have also been featured in many publications, including the New York Times. During his time at Adventure Cycling Association, he has spearheaded a diverse array of projects, including the research, design, and mapping of the Idaho Hot Springs mountain bike route. Casey impressive I can't wait to talk to you about this route I was looking into it it looks like a blast
1: yeah it's pretty neat um, it's a pretty neat route that we were able to put together with all the hot springs and and all the nice single track trails for people to go and tour
0: absolutely so before we get to that I said bike packing and pack biking what's the difference
1: all right um, so bike packing is something that's kind of sprung up in the last 15 years. Um, And it's basically using your mountain bike to bike tour, but over single track trails and dirt roads and places where people wouldn't normally think to go bike tour. Um, Usually the thought of bike touring is you kind of bring like everything that you need, all this gear uh, to go across country or to just do an overnight or whatnot. And what bike packing does is you basically reduce that amount of gear, you reduce the weight, so you can ride and go over uh, steep single-track trails and dirt roads and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, pack biking is something that has been sort of developed over the past 20 years or so, and it basically what it means is to basically put your bike on your backpack. So what you do is essentially you're bike packing, you're riding these dirt roads and trails. And then if the trail runs out or you hit snow or there's a federally designated wilderness area which you're not allowed to be in possession of a bicycle, you would disassemble your bike and put it on your back until you can start riding again.
0: Ah, oh, very nifty. How many how often do you encounter trails like that where you're not really supposed to have a bike on them?
1: Um, in, in Montana and Idaho and the Northern Rockies, you know, we have a fair amount of designated wilderness. Mm -hmm. Um, we actually have two of the largest wilderness complexes in the lower 48, uh, partially in Missoula County where I am, uh, the Frank church river, no return complex and the Bob Marshall complex. Um, and then there's a bunch of other little ones and you know, so we do, and you can if you're going on a longer trip you know, multi-day, seven days a week, two weeks or something like that. Um, and you want to stay in the back country in Montana, uh, it's very hard to not hit a wilderness area. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where the pack biking comes into play. Um, but again, it also comes into play too when you hit, you know, terrain or conditions that you can't, there's no trail, you know, or, or there's snow on the trails. And so you can't, you know, ride it. Um, and, and then you have to put your, you know, your bike on your back and maybe hike five, six miles or something like that, sometimes 20 miles, <laughs> depending. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's kind of, uh it's kind of tailor made for the Northern Rockies region.
0: I saw, I think in uh, one article I read, your typical, the typical gear that you carry along with the bike, you have crampons and stuff made for snow. So you can literally carry your bike up faces of snow and then bike down wherever it's, it's bikeable.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think it gets back to sort of like the, the human power trip because a, a lot of times I'm not really looking to go like mountain bike or something like that. I'm looking to go somewhere and, and and sort of experience country under sort of like human power and see like what's the best mode of travel to get me there. What's the best sort of human power travel to get me there And so, you know, sometimes that's just hiking, and sometimes it's just biking. And then sometimes it's, yeah, sometimes you bring the ice axe and cramp cons. Sometimes you bring skis or pack rafts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's all pretty fun, and uh, it's all pretty neat trying to figure out these trips and how to get them done, you know?
0: Bethany, in the city, I see a lot of people carrying around, you know, those little bikes that you can actually fold up, and it makes it Mm -hmm. really convenient. This kind of reminded me of that, except that your bike is... So much heavier, and you're going up mountains, not like two flights of stairs to your office.
1: Well, honestly, Ben, uh, a lot of those bikes are heavier than my bike. Really? Yeah, um, they're kind of a little bit deceiving. It's kind of like kids' bikes too. Like you see a kids' bike, and you're like, "Oh man, that must be really light." But then you like pick it up, and it's like 30 pounds, and you're like, "How is this kid bike 30 pounds?" <laughs> you know? Um, a lot of those folding bikes are the same way. Uh, they have to have so many different. Uh, they have to be pretty burly. The, the the frame that they do use the frame material and then they have to use all these pivots and stuff that you know even though they have 20 inch wheels like a kid's bike and even though it looks smaller they actually end up being quite a bit heavier sometimes like even 10 15 pounds heavier wow which is a pretty big load when you're talking about ultra light travel you know and, and just being able to get a trip done you know
0: and your bike is not a foldable bike right you just disassemble right.
1: it Yep, yeah, yeah it's just uh it's just a straight up mountain bike um The one I've been using is actually a a mountain bike circa 1997, so it's pretty old. Nice. Um, And it's a single speed and with rim brakes, so it's pretty much like one step away from a cross bike. Um, And then I've also used a a more standard mountain bike recently um, to, to... to make it a little bit easier on myself with the biking section. But it kind of depends on how much pack biking there is and how much actual mountain biking there is and sort of what the goal is of the trip, you know, and that's what it kind of goes back to, like, oh, man, are you going to bring skis and what bike are you going to bring and mm-hmm. crampons and all that kind of stuff. So just kind of like looking at the trip and the terrain that you're going to go over or try to go over because um, a lot of times I fail, you know, and uh, I try to figure that out and, and, and figure out the best tools for the job.
0: So for the listeners, while Casey does do this for fun, it's also part of his job description. As I said before, he's a cartographer, so he's making and creating and designing all of these bike routes, so he needs some way to get himself around. I don't know if I've ever met a cartographer before, Casey, so this is awesome. <laughs> um, and and what I'm finding, honestly, is like, it's, this is the case with everything. I there's so much more to things than what I would initially think. And you sent me over a map and I'm looking through it and I'm just like realizing how much thought actually goes into something like this. And I have a whole new appreciation because, you know, like when we typically look at a map, your purpose of looking at it is to like find out how to get where you're going, not to think about how much work actually went into uh, making it.
1: Yeah, it can be. It can be very challenging. And, uh, you know, you definitely have to think about who's going to be using your map, um, why they're going to be using your map. And that can be like a huge range, especially when we talk about, uh, you know, people that are using maps for outdoor adventure. And honestly, you know, most maps don't get made where somebody is going out and and researching all the trails. Most of those trails are actually, it's sort of a long process, but you know, on the, on the cartography. And a lot of times people will pull those, that data from a massive database Hmm. um and put them on the maps and and sort of stylize and symbolize them for the user like you were talking about and um and kind of go from there um which is why like a lot of times you can find maps that are wrong you know and that's interesting and that's a really interesting thing for me to be out you know, on sort of an adventure and be looking at the maps and analyzing them and seeing uh, why some information is wrong and why that is the, that that information is wrong too. Interesting. Um, so yeah, it gets really you know you add that up with like GPS information and uh, and everything and you know it can get it can get pretty weird pretty fast out there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so you know I always take I always like when I'm going on a trip you know and I don't know where I am I like to take sort of Two maps, and sometimes I'll have a GPS with me with layers of information. In between, all that information, like things can be telling me that I'm at a different place or that a trail's here or that it's not there. And, you know, then you get into the whole mess of dirt roads in the Northern Rockies and stuff too. Um, and it can, it can be confusing pretty fast, but, um, but it's also pretty neat to navigate all that information and, and to figure out why things are the way that they are.
0: Does that get you probably more frustrated than the average human when maps are incorrect? no it
1: actually it's it's kind of like a puzzle, you huh. know, okay, you know it sort of leads me to the process of of being like, "Oh well, they probably did it this way, and they probably got their data from here um, I mean, just real quick i you know most most maps, how they're made is <clears throat> i mean a long time ago, somebody went out and surveyed maps and I'll, I'll talk about the the northern Rockies and, and maybe you know the Rockies in general, mm-hmm. but basically, what happened was you know these surveyors went out a long time ago and they surveyed everything. And they got put on the USGS Topo maps. And and from there, other people went out and created maps. Um, some people did research like Forest Service maps. You know, the Forest Service did their own research, inventorying their own stuff. And then at some point, the digital age hit, right? Mm-hmm. And so we get away from this sort of like hand-done paper map. or um, and And basically what happened at that point is they had people go in there and basically trace their maps on the computer. And, you know,
0: hmm.
1: and I've personally done this before. It's called digitizing. And so what you do is you go in and you have the map on your computer and you trace out with your little pen tool or whatever, <laughs> in Illustrator or, or in GIS or whatever. And, you know, the maps, you know, you get to a point where you're doing this for so long that you, you kind of get lazy. You uh-huh. know, At least I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> and And this is
0: without ever being where you're tracing right this is yeah
1: i mean i could be tracing something like i remember when i was doing something when i was doing this i was doing this for buddy for his phd uh project and i was doing it and uh, not
0: you not your phd project no i
1: actually don't have a degree at all Um, oh okay yeah, but I was doing it for his PhD project in uh, the Philmont Scout re- Reservation in New Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. I've never been there. I've actually never been to New Mexico. Um, but I'm sitting there tracing all these drainages out and stuff like that, and uh, and it can get kind of sloppy at times. And then basically this stuff gets added to a database, and then the people who are making the maps will buy that data mm-hmm. from these other people, and then they import it, and then they stylize it in their program, right? <laughs> So there's this huge sort of disconnect from people going out in the field like a long time ago, you know, maybe not even a super long time ago, sometimes like even in the 70s and stuff like that, but a super big disconnect from people doing that to then somebody tracing it to then somebody using that data and just like hoping that it is correct.
0: Right, there's so much that can go wrong.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of disconnect. Between. I mean, there are companies out there like, man, my, my buddy, uh, two of my friends, Amelia and Jamie, uh, they own a cartographic company here in Missoula called Caron Cartographics, and they their first two maps that they made were of the Bob Marshall Wilderness here, which is huge. And they literally went out and walked, they hiked every single trail in the Bob Marshall Wilderness wow. to make the map, and they GPSed it, and then they put that, and then they uploaded that information into their program.
0: And That's so, how you eliminate all the inconsistencies.
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, it takes a huge amount of. I mean, that right. took them two summers you know, just straight off the bat to just get that data.
0: Right. You know,
1: so, but yeah, so there are people out there that are doing that kind of stuff, but for the most part, and that's where you see these things coming up online, like, or you look at Google Maps and you're like, man, that street doesn't exist. Or like, you know, that, that, that bridge hasn't been there for 15 years, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's sort of where that comes from, is that process of somebody tracing these old maps and the data not getting updated. So anyway, so going back to your – so when I'm out in the field and I've got all these maps, so I get to, like, look at them – and if the trail's not there or it's in batch or whatever, then I can go through that process in my head and say like, oh, this is, this is probably what happened. So it's kind of fun, you know, and uh, it can be frustrating. You're right, it can be frustrating at times, but a lot of times it can be fun too.
0: For the listeners, I hope you have a whole new appreciation for how difficult it is to create maps and how much work actually goes into it. This is so neat. The funny story about me with a map Um, this deals with the scaling, and I was in Florida with some friends, uh, kind of near the beach. And we had one of those touristy maps, like the ones with cartoons, you know, just to like, oh, sure, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And yeah, yeah, well, not in this case, um, (laughs) we so we like assumed, I guess, for some reason that it was scaled properly, which, like, looking back now, that was completely idiotic. And so we saw this restaurant that we wanted to go to. So we what did we do? We we like looked at how far away we were from a certain thing on the map and figured okay, it's like twice as far as that thing. That thing's a 5-minute walk, so it's going to be like a 10-15 minute walk. And we ended up walking 20 minutes toward the dire- like the direction of the restaurant, didn't find it. And we were like, "Eh, we're almost there. So we had to change our reservation once. Then we kept walking, had to change our reservation again. It ended up taking an hour. We had to to, to change our reservation three different times because we kept pushing it back 15 minutes. It took us an hour to walk to this stupid restaurant, which is terrible anyway. But any funny stories that you have, Casey, about when a map did you wrong?
1: Um, Well, little things like that happen kind of all the time. You know, I remember, I mean, the one that comes to the top of my head is just that, you know, I was researching the Idaho Hot Springs mountain bike route, and, you know, I had, I had gotten some information from a guidebook, like, that's like 30 years old or whatever, about the middle fork of the Payette Trail along the middle fork of the Payette River, and some guys had written it up in a mountain bike book. And it, it was perfect for the hot springs route because it was going to take you down on the single track, take you down past, like, two beautiful hot springs, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, wow, this is going to work out perfectly. But, you know, I looked at a map, but, again, it was the same thing as you. It was the scale. You know, I wasn't looking at the right scale of map, and I was looking at too small scale of a map, and and it didn't really show the... Oh, I forget. It was, like, something like 15 river crossings in, like, 10 miles. Um, And so to just, like, start it off, I couldn't even find the trail. Like, I had had this sweet descent off this ridgeline, and I'm thinking, like, oh, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to come down here and find this trail and just ride off to these hot springs. It's going to be perfect. People are going to love it. And I couldn't even find the trail, and it's really hot out, and I'm just like, okay, well, maybe if I just kind of, like, bushwhack down to the river, I can find it. And I did. And then it just, the trail, I could, I, the trail wasn't even rideable for, I would say, you know, again, you know, for that distance in like 10 miles, it wasn't even rideable for a quarter of a mile. I was literally like, you know, kind of pushing and carrying my bike along, kind of wish I was pack biking. Uh, and I, I had to cross the middle fork of the Payette River like 12 times. <laughs> and I was just like, oh man. And then I went back later and I looked at like uh a more appropriately scaled map, and I was like, oh, that does cross that river a bunch of times. (laughs) I probably should have looked at that beforehand. Needless to say, that didn't go on the map, anybody listening? Um, But, uh, yeah, that one didn't go on the map. We were able to find a a different route around that uh, so people didn't have to go through all those river crossings, which, you know, can be dangerous at times. I mean, when we did it, it was... You know, there was a couple times when I was crossing it where it was sort of like I was walking my bike and it sort of like was pulling the bike away from me. You know, mm. but it wasn't it wasn't treacherous. But if you would have hit it, maybe three weeks before that, uh, it might have been not doable.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That stuff still happens to me. I mean, it happens to me all the time. I mean, that's part of the adventure, though, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's fun as long as the river's not ripping through there. So uh, this may be a silly question: Is it a sin? to throw a bridge over those rivers over those river crossings or did you want this to be like an all-natural bike route
1: well you know that's not in a wilderness area um you know there are groups out there that will fight like if you try to put a a a bridge in a wilderness area it's a man-made structure Uh um but this is actually not in a wilderness area um but you know i think for them to have to put the bridges in there would just cost them so much money and the forest service doesn't Uh have That much money. I mean, they don't have the money to obviously maintain the trail. Um, The trail was in such bad condition um, that you know I don't I don't think that they really have the funds to.
0: So not necessarily cost effective to build the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. All right. Well, let's talk more about this thing, the Idaho Hot Springs Mountain Bike Route, which Casey designed and created the map for. It looks like I said at the beginning, so much fun. The Hot Springs route connects 50, around 50, right, Casey? Hot Springs in Idaho?
1: It's Yeah, it's 51.
0: 51. And does your job require you to test those Hot Springs firsthand?
1: <laughs> you know, unfortunately, like, I mean, it was really cool, you know, when we started talking about the route here at Adventure Cycling, it was sort of a big, long process. I had to, you know, sort of do a preliminary route to see, you know. I, well, first, I, I sort of plotted out all the hot springs just to see where they were and then see if we can do routes connecting them. And so there were just so many hot springs that I couldn't, you know, when we did go down to research it, it was unfortunate because, like, I literally had to run up to a hot spring, take a waypoint on my GPS, you know, name it, test the water, with my hand and then kind of like run back to the car or like <laughs> or whatever so make sure it's hot yeah exactly uh-huh. And just see like if there's any algae growing on top and, yeah yeah you know what the conditions were and see if people would want to soak in them and stuff <laughs> and uh yes yeah, so i didn't actually get to i mean i i would say like of the 51 on the route i think i've probably been in maybe i would say under 20 okay you know during various trips down there even with the family and stuff like that um mm-hmm. uh, or on various bike trips that I've done by myself. So, yeah, but Very I did get to see all of them, but uh, unfortunately I didn't get to soak in all of them.
0: And there are also cities in fairly close proximity to the trail, right? So if people want to break off at certain points, I saw Idaho City, Ketchum, Stanley, and McCall.
1: Yeah, that was sort of, I mean, when you talk about like bike touring and stuff, that's one thing that we have to do to design. We have to make the route... Um, not only you know fun riding and take you to cool places and you know big scenery and and then of course the hot springs we also we also have to figure out um, how to how cyclists can get services like mm-hmm. you know maybe you know food is a big one um, you know but also like bike shops and outdoor sports shops and and even motels you know everybody likes to after you're camping for a week or. 10 days or something like that you know a lot of people including myself like to get a motel room or whatever yeah yeah um you know so all those kind of services we sort of had to figure out how to take people to those services too so it wasn't just connecting the hot springs it was more connecting the hot springs with good riding and then also those services so that people could resupply at least you know every couple days
0: 518 miles i think i saw is the final number
1: yeah, that's the mile on the main route. We've got, like, a, a big dirt road main route. Uh, it's, like, 518 miles long. And uh, that's basically anybody can, if you, if you bike toured before, you can ride this. Um, you know, it's all on dirt roads. Um, so you can take a bob trailer or panniers or whatever you want to do. And then we have a cutoff route that's all paved. Um, and the reason it's paved is even though it's mountain biking around and it sounds a little weird, but, uh, it takes you past a lot of hot springs and it cuts the main route in half. Mm -hmm. So most people will take them, them like two weeks to do the main route. But with this cutoff, if you only have a week of vacation, you can just do one of the two sides of it. And then we have a spur to the Boise airport. So you can literally fly into Boise, get off the plane and, and get right on the route. Wow. Yeah, and then we also have, um, and this was sort of the biggest sort of experiment for us. We have four different single track options, and these are mostly single track sections where you know you do need bike packing gear. You want to go as lightweight as possible. Uh, maybe some uh, backcountry traveling experience, whether it be backcountry skiing or pack rafting or backpacking or whatever. Um, and these uh, these are sections that are quite a bit harder. Um, and they take you to different hot springs into some beautiful country and they're mostly on single track trails for people that want to do that.
0: You're catering to a diverse group of, uh, talent. The airport thing sounds fantastic too. I mean, talk about convenient. You can just get right off the plane, start riding.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the single track things are cool, but I think, you know, ultimately that that was my favorite part of the route. I mean, it's not super great riding or anything, but just, you know, yeah, giving people the convenience. The setup. fact that you
0: can do it is pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't have that option at Logan Airport in Boston. I would <laughs> have to cross uh, a few different bodies of water. Um, <laughs> so you're a big-time mountain biker, as we've talked about, and we always get gear recommendations on this show. Give our listeners one or two things that they have to have. Casey,
1: um, you know this is something that is is not for every part of the country, but where I'm from in the Northern Rockies, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, um, this piece of gear is just. I mean, I use this all the time and with multiple activities, and that is the Black Diamond Mega Light also re- used to be called the mega mid and a lot of people still call it the mega mid, but it's been a, I mean, the design's been around since black diamond was shinard equipment back in the eighties. Um, it's a simple pyramid structure with one pool and then it's a tarp that goes down almost to the ground. It, you can stake it out in eight points. You can add more points on there if you're going to be like Alpine winter camping, mountaineering and stuff like that. But, um, it's a really great shelter because it's really light and it offers a lot of space. And, you know, winter camping, we fit up to four people in there. Um, you know, I take it bikepacking. When you only have two people in there, it's just luxurious <laughs> and it's, it's super light. And, you know, use it for everything, like I said, winter camping to taking the kids on rafting trips on the, on the river, you know, and, and backpacking with the kids. Um, it's just a really great structure.
0: Wonderful. That will be on Casey's beautiful Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. Check that out if it's something that clicks for you, to so the Meister fans. To wrap up, Casey, you have spent a year and a half creating this Idaho Hot Springs mountain bike route, and it's just about finished, I believe. Can our listeners buy it somewhere yet?
1: Yeah, it's actually it's actually finished. Uh we finished we came out with it this past February and people have actually been out on the route and riding it uh oh, this wonderful. past summer.
0: And um, what, what do people say so far? Do you have to do some tweaks?
1: Yeah, we're gonna probably do some tweaks in in, in the coming year or so. Um you know, some of the single track sections are people are finding very, very challenging. Mm. Um, expect to hike your bike. Expect to be humping your bike over down trees and maybe fording a few creeks and rivers. And expect a really hard experience, but a really rewarding experience at the same time. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna be doing some tweaks to the map a little bit here and there. But for the most part, it's gonna stand the same. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to learn more about it um, and and the other tons of bike routes that we have uh, our next big bike route that we're going to do is uh, a route 66 route and it's a it's a road route that connects Chicago to LA um, and it's going to it's slated to come out this this coming spring so people will be able to get on that this this uh, this next summer so that's pretty exciting too um, but yeah if anybody wants any more information on these maps um, head over to adventurecycling.org
0: perfect we'll have That resource on your Meister profile page as well. Also, you can follow what Casey's up to at greencasey, G-R-E-E-N-E, Casey, dot com. That link will be on, guess what, your Meister profile page, Casey. (laughs) Casey Green, wonderful, and congratulations on being named Mountain Meister. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hey, Ben. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Hello, everyone. A lot of people wonder how I get such incredible guests on the show such as Casey, and besides them being incredibly generous with their time, there's also a lot of discussion that happens after the show where I get some references. Casey and I had a good talk after his show, and he had a great idea that at the end of every show, I should just make this public to you guys, and we ask who does this person want to see as the next Mountain Meister, so that's exactly what we did. Here is some of our conversation after the show.
1: But I would love to hear, I would love to hear Roman Dial interviewed. I don't Um, know if I know Roman. Yeah, you need to to look him up because that guy is like a legendary Alaskan adventurer. Oh, sweet. And just just like a really humble guy. um, And he's been doing stuff for over, God, since like the early 80s. And he's pretty. He pretty much about, like pack rafting uh, to people, although he won't say that. And you know, uh-huh. he's uh, so much stuff. I mean, he learned to like cl- cross. Like he learned his great glacial travel from like Yvon Chouinard, and just doing all these crazy. He's the one actually. I got the inspiration for pack biking from because he did this traverse in '96 of the Alaskan range, and they did it by bikes and pack rafts. Uh-huh. And he was featured in the may 97 issue of national geographic um and they did and i mean this was this was almost 20 years ago you know and they did a full crossing of the, the denali range which is just like insane um and it was like him and and a couple other guys but i mean this guy's just like crazy visionary and he pretty much like i mean he's been pushing the sport pack rafting and and just wilderness travel and all that kind of stuff that's um, awesome yeah. yeah, You should look him up. Him and and the other guy is Luke Mel, and it's L U C M E H L. And Luke, both of them have a website. Uh, Luke's website. Um, he's another Alaskan dude, but he's he's been doing some just insane trips the last couple of years. Like one trip they did was, and they like he likes doing human power trips too, which are just uh-huh. way more early than mine. Like they did a trip where um, they went up Mount Logan in Canada, which was the second highest. Uh, peak in North America, and they did a 30 day traverse where they like pack raft up this river or this delta and then got up on this glacier and then hauled their pack rafts with all like 130 pounds on the snow with skis. And like it took them like 30 days, and one of them got a couple of them got an avalanche and they're just like all on their own. And you know, and then they get out to the other side of the other river and then they pack raft out to the town, you know.
0: Oh my gosh. This is, yeah, I, I see both of their websites. Those are awesome. Thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah, try to get them on the show, man, because those guys are like... Yeah. And I,
0: I love this idea of who do you want to see as the next Mountain Meister. That is, yeah. That's phenomenal, too. Well,
1: good. well, I just I just said that, so if you want to cut that into my program, that can be the first. <laughs>
0: yeah, good idea. I'll, I'll see if I can work with it.
1: <laughs> I, I think I...
0: Uh... Thank you for listening to that episode with Casey Green the cartographer, creator of the Idaho Hot Springs Mountain Bike Trail. You can check that out. Check out all the resources on Casey's Meister profile page. Don't forget, if you like Mountain Meister, there's a free way to help us out. Get a free audiobook from audible.com. You got to do it through the link on our website, though. So make sure you do that or else we won't get paid. As always... Enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do when you listen to this podcast. Until next time, I am Ben Shank, and you have been listening to Mountain Meister.